you got spinning no five my rookie year at the end of the season. Yeah. But remember when you first got to the team and you came up and was like, he was like, hey, bro, I'm, I'm going to follow you home. You know what I'm saying? Like when we yeah. sit out there in my garage and burn by yeah. my big on car, like, yeah. bro, I was starstruck that whole day. Yeah. And I don't know why you why you knew. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I just knew. <laughs> I mean, I just knew. Hold up. Limitless. Take a simmer cap, pin in it. I thought they hear the witness it. Get my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. No one me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless. Take a simmer cap, pin in it. I thought they hear the witness it. Get my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. On the mission, get me up. Welcome back to the pivot. We got my dog, Fred Taylor, should be a Hall of Famer. We have Channing Crowder. We just trying to get him to dress more. And look, we back at it, and when you out of moves, it's time for the pivot, and nobody has ever pivoted the way that I guess Ricky Williams has. The different things he's RC, been through. Another Hall of Famer. Absolutely. But I don't, I don't know if it's gonna happen. I him. agree about that. I agree about that. Rick, Indeed. man, what you been up to though, dog? Like you one of those dudes, <laughs> you one of those dudes that feels like we gotta go find you in the mountains with alpacas. I'm not in the mountains or nothing. I'm just down the street at the in Manhattan Beach, but I'm always in the clouds. You know, I don't mean smoking. I mean, I'm always have, have big ideas. And, and now that I've lived a little bit, I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm doing what I can to get my ideas out into the world. So what type of ideas, though? You say you're an entrepreneur. Like, what type of ideas are you trying to get out to the world? Or like, what are these things? Like Heisman. Heisman, you know? Okay. And I, I tell people it's not about a trophy. It's about getting high. And, and I feel like I can get away with saying that to people and they laugh. You know, and I just laugh. And that's that's it. And that's I tried to hold it. it though, because yeah. I didn't know if you thought it was funny. Or no, not. that's but that's that's part of the thing is to be able to have a different kind of conversation about it. And I know, you know, back when I got in trouble, like I wasn't trying to have a real conversation about it. Mm -hmm. But everything I've been through, I'm like, this is what's up now. And so just creating a safe place for people to be real and tell the truth about what they do, um, how they relax. <laughs> and then Rick, I played with you, man. And it was it was back when it was you were the bad guy. Like, really, you were the bad Tell guy. Though, was he ever the bad guy? Like, I feel like nobody ever looked at him as the bad guy. It was almost like he was just, he was so misunderstood that people just threw it to the side. Like, we're not going to deal with it. Yeah. Like, you he, think he was, he was the bad guy? He, I guess was painted the as perception. the bad guy. The I got you. you know how it is. We all, we all been in that situation on a team, and if, if something gets too complicated, coaches be like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I do Real not want to deal with this. Right. And you can say the F word, that's all you want to say. <laughs> but not only that, Rick, I, I think that's just the nature of the game. Yeah. You know, if you have one instant here and the media pick up on it, then this media outlet picks up on it and they pick up on it. Now other teams paint this perception of you, you know, and they create this image. And everybody for a while, they were saying, this man must be crazy. Yeah. They thought you was crazy. Yeah. Are you crazy? It depends how you Aren't define- Are we all crazy like a That's little I, bit but though? It depends how you define crazy though. If I'm being real, I look Be at real. most people and I think they're crazy. As in people being different from you or just in the sense that you feel like everybody got a little something? My definition of crazy is, is and it's a, it's a common definition of doing the same thing and expecting a, a different result. Right. And, and when people talk to me about playing, about playing in the league, I say, it's not for everyone because there's a certain like, level of excellence that's expected from us on a day in and day out basis. And I personally think anyone that doesn't live their life that way is crazy. Right. That's, that's what I mean. And so again, I think all of us have to be crazy to do what we do, but that's the positive kind of crazy. If you think about all the great men that we celebrate in history, all of them, some people call them crazy. Right. Who, who's the boy that cut his ear off? Cause I know you smart. Van Gogh. Van Gogh cut his ear off. I'm also smart. Rick's smarter than you. I don't know. How, know. how is Rick, Rick is smarter, smarter than me? Though. How do you just assume that he's smarter than me? Like, that makes no sense, Shannon. I can look at like, him. Like, I feel like, no, it's I because can. it's because you want Rick to be smarter than me. Huh? Like, you you are tired of being a little brother on the show, and you like, you know what? Every possible opportunity I get to chop RC down, I'm going to I'm 5'11 already, and that's dog. A, and that's Y'all already shame. bigger than me. You remember his private school, Ryan. Or should I say save it? Listen, Saving they, they gave Ryan. him Freddie, but they gave him grades because he was good at football. Like, we no, know I was like now. truly an honor roll student. No, you weren't. But I was, This though. is the thing that Rick understands the path. You don't understand the path is that you were top safety, so they gave you grades. That's not why, though. I studied and I worked. Like, how come Ricky gets to come on this show, right, mm -hmm. and get all this grace from you two, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, you know, Freddie thinks that private schools are a farce, and that nobody nah, should go to private schools, and that, that private schools make you stupid or whatever he thinks. Never, yeah. You never. think I'm soft. 
Well, and then yeah, yeah, you yeah. ask Rick, you ask him a question that you thought he could answer because he was smart. I actually know the answer, but I'm dumb. I'll tell you this. Rick starstruck me when he first oh, got back in 05. Absolutely. Rick, like, I Ricky, agree. That was Ricky Williams. You remember when we started talking about, we was in there, what was it, Sammy Morris? Sam, yeah. Because yeah. Sammy had three kids. Yeah. And we were in the locker room, and we started talking about who has the most kids. Okay. So we're talking, and we're like, oh, Sammy got three. And I, at, at the time now, I was running. So I might have had some kids, but they haven't claimed me yet, so it's too late. <laughs> so you had kids like Spades game, three and a possible? I have a, I have a couple possibles. <laughs> <laughs> I have one or two possibles. But it was so Boy. funny because Sammy was like, I got three. Another dude was like, I got, I got four. Another dude was like, I got three. We're like, Rick, how many you got? Rick was... At that time, I think you had four. Yeah. I was like, damn, Rick, you don't believe in condoms. You remember what your response was? I probably said no. Rick said, if God wants to create a life, how am I going to stop him from creating it? That's some smart stuff. I like that. <laughs> and I looked and it was like. Because it ain't your job, Rick. And I was like. Because <laughs> that, that was 05 when you first came back. And that was like, we in the locker room. It's, it's camp. When God wants to create a life, how can I stop? How can I stop God from creating that life? And I stopped believing in condoms <laughs> because Ricky Williams just told me God, that God, God wants to create God life. can beat a condom, and I was like, well, <laughs> well if Rick says it, <laughs> it, it might be okay. But that that, that was yeah, the that's thing. A, that's but, a dangerous influence. That guy hung out around a lot of bars in Miami. Think about it. He has a few possibilities. We, we all been in the league. We all been around dangerous influence. That's, that's just... It's part of the locker room. That's just part, right. that's just part right. of it. So, Rick, you know, we, we kind of talk about where you are now. Uh, Channing's bringing up some stories of the past. But, but we're here because you're going to host a, a show on signing day about HBCUs. I think it's extremely interesting. You have one of the greatest college football players of all time. Um, a college football player that went to a predominantly white institution um, that's hosting an HBCU signing day show. How does that even come about? Like, how does that discussion happen where it gets to this point? Uh, I think people have heard me talk about how passionate I am about football and specifically college football, and even talking about my college football experience. Mm -hmm. I think at the University of Texas, they just changed the name of the field to the Campbell Williams Field after Earl and myself. And to me, that whole process of how that went down was, was crazy. Can you kind of explain the process? Yeah. So. To me, I think it's a, it's a template for how we can start to change things, actually. Is okay. the, the current players on the team said something. And one of the alumni who Earl and I knew had a lot of money, his dad's name was on the field. And he saw the kid saying something, and he started thinking, you know, what can I do? And he realized my dad is dead, but I know two people that are alive that have a voice. So he reached out to the school and wrote them this letter and said, basically said, if you guys don't change this, I'm going to tell the media that you guys... And is, and is this a, 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 a white man? Yes. Okay. So this is the idea. Like, the, the young people who, who are on the ground and willing to have the energy to speak up, they said something. And the people with money went to the, to the bureaucrats at the university and said, change this. And because he had money and had power, he got it changed. And it happened in less than, less than two months. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I was back at the university for the first game this year. And they had a reunion for the first African-American players that played at Texas, okay. which wasn't until the mid-70s. And, and we were all up in a suite, and I was curious. And I walked up to him, and I said, did you guys know what you were getting into when you came to the university? And did, all, it, Was it just because of the time they were in, Rick? Well, it was because of the time, and there weren't any African-American students. I got you. In, in the Southwest Conference, really, in okay. Texas, you know, Coach Royal wasn't having any players. But Coach Royal saw that it was going on around the country that more African-American players were coming to, to these schools. And so he, he pushed the university to allow some players to come. And so I asked all these guys, and they said, we knew exactly what we were stepping into. Exactly. And we mm -hmm. knew that we were going to set an example for people to come after us. And that really just, just blew me away. Mm -hmm. and, and I started thinking about my college football experience a lot. And, and I went to Texas because I wanted to play big-time college football. I wanted to be on national television, and I wanted everyone to see me. Mm -hmm. And looking back, it was great. I, I did a lot of wonderful things. But, but I think this time, that time of life in college is such, a, is such a special time. I think if you're only focused on sports and not really engaged in the, in the growing up, becoming a man process, yeah. I think it's a, it's a big do loss. Think, do you think that's harder for people that look like us to do at a predominantly white institution as, it, as opposed to HBCU around people who are like you, people who 100%. think like you. Have I think been... we're fetishized when we go, when we go to that, 
Okay. And I'm not speaking for all of us. I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. You know, we, we go, like, at least for me in school, I could go on, the, as a freshman, I could go out there on the field and I could compete Okay. almost anybody. I went in the classroom, Texas was top 10 in the class. Mm -hmm. I was a decent student, I was smart, but I spent so much time focusing on football, it was really difficult for me to compete in the classroom. And so I started to lose confidence in my intelligence and it didn't really support me. And I wasn't around people that came from where I came from or understood where I was, who I was. And so- Do you think the people at Texas cared about how you progressed as a man? as opposed to the football player, Ricky Williams, that becomes one of the greatest it's players. It's not even, I wasn't, I wasn't. I'm asking him a question, Chad. I'm not worried about you as a human. You are RB1. That's what I'm trying to ask you the question, You are safety though. one. I was Come five, on I was now, five star, like, I was five stars, I was five stars. I was, I was, I was four. I was, <laughs> I was, I was RB1 four when I was starting. Okay, I was, I was, I was, I'm old, boy, you know I'm old. We came out in 97, we ain't had no dang stars. But why would they give us a $100,000 scholarship to make us a man. But Channing, also, I'm gonna ask you this question. Is it not, when, when you think of Florida, the, the position that you're in, the voice that you hold now, do you not think Florida is going to use that? Right, that, that there's gonna be a young man that walks into Florida this year that says, I wanna be a part of the media. I want to be a part of broadcasting. And people are gonna point to the pivot or the show you were on before this and say, look, look at Channing. Right, look at Channing Crowder. Channing Crowder does this. Fred Taylor does this for Jacksonville. Channing Crowder does this for Miami Dolphins. Like, they want you to succeed. So my question is, do they put what they need to put into us to allow no, us to No, it's not do? even close. I mean, they, they want us to succeed on the football field. Mm -hmm. But, and this is just what I noticed, yeah. is I don't think they really care so much if we succeed in life beyond that. No, no. I don't. I, and I think obviously there's coaches out there that, that truly care about and really enjoy the process of helping young men become leaders. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I think about my passion in football, and I think if I ever got back into the game, that would be the only reason. It's because it's this beautiful, especially college, it's this beautiful opportunity to help young men become leaders. Because to me, there is nothing like football as a tool to help, to help young men become leaders. Nothing and like that. And how the hell did you go to Texas? From, you're from San Diego. Mm -hmm. How in the hell did you get to Texas, bro? I'll tell you why. I, I was looking for the biggest school where I could start as a freshman. That where I, where I went on my recruiting trip and it felt and it felt most like family. Did and it feel like that when you went on your recruiting trip? Amongst the team, because when I went on my recruiting trip, it was during it was during bowl practice and it was and it was um, everyone was off campus. Okay. So I was just around the team, practicing for the bowl. So it felt it felt like family. And I'm the kind of person where where I'm an adventurer, so I don't mind adventuring into new territory. But it was culture shock coming from San Diego the sex, to right. the south. To the yeah, south. Yeah, and then I went to New Orleans, and that was a like, that was a we'll, whole. Oh, we're gonna get into that. No, let's go chronologically. What, what was your? I don't know because you're old as hell. Fred's seventy-two. Yeah, we're old. Yeah, y'all are yeah, old. Old. But was it five visits? Fred, it was, was it five, five visits? Five. Y'all had five visits? Five I don't know. Y'all might have had 17. <laughs> I don't know what y'all hey, had. Go, hey, infinite, infinite visits. They just visit whoever they want to visit. Who was your five and? Did you ever even look at an HBCU? Who was your first? I wasn't real. even recruit. I wasn't even recruited by one. And not it's one a, letter. Not one. Wow. And it's it's um, it's That's unfortunate. Crazy. Like, I look back and and if there was one thing that I that I I could I would have done different. And I'm not even just saying this. Is I would have taken a strong look, knowing what I know now, especially the quality of the experience. Like Texas prepared me to be a good college football player. It did not prepare me for life. That's real. Not even, mm. it almost anti-prepared me That's for life. That's a real, why, why, why do you say it almost anti-prepared you for life as opposed to what an HBCU could provide? Though? Well, I'll say this, prepare me to be successful in life. Because mm. I think so much about how we learn is what we see. Okay. Is what we, what we see around us. And then at Texas, what I saw around me was you know, it was a, a big difference in who had all the intellectual power and who had all the financial power and who was, be, who was considered successful. And I think being around other people that look like me who were successful doing things that I would love to do or I wanted to see myself doing. But at Texas, I didn't see very many people that looked like me doing yeah. things that, that I was passionate about doing. And so like you think if you were in, in this age, the age where Hugh Jackson is at Grambling State, mm -hmm. the age where Eddie George is at Tennessee State, uh, prime time, is at Jackson State, yeah. where these schools now believe they can get the Ricky Williamses of the world. 
would you consider? Do you think in this time you consider? Consider it would be but, no, but, it would be but, no question. But no, but fellas, I'm the same way, Rick. Where I remember talking to Jackson State's coach when, when I was coming out, he was and out? he told me he was like, "You're you're too big for what we're trying to do." Right. So he's but like, "I, I can't even recruit that, you because of who you I, are." I had Florida, Georgia, USC, Michigan, and he was like, "There's we're not going to waste our finances recruiting you and because you thing. have a top." When Ricky you said have he didn't get coaches. a look. Coming from what out west, San Diego for sure. You know, definitely yeah. San Diego. You're talking about historically black colleges. They're in the south. Mm-hmm. You that's know, the a lot other, of guys, that's especially the other, big that's the players, other thing. Yeah. they're not going to get a look to pull them in. They are, one, they already lack resources. Yes, we're talking traveling. And back in those days, think about it. They can they can pop on a a, a, a rivals, you know, yeah. a tape or a YouTube and see highlights of these players. Hell, even Instagram, it's just floating around the internet of guys from you know the west coast. They can probably tap into that, but when we came out, Didn't they lacked it. a lot of funding, yeah, a lot of resources. Tape. So right. traveling out there was a waste. I got one letter. My first HBCU letter came from Tuskegee. Okay. Tuskegee, which is actually a great school. Great school. I, I, <laughs> right. Frisbee. <laughs> Never seen it again. I just wasn't having it. But Fred, what was your mindset at that? I want to go play in front of eighty thousand or they can't get me to the league or the education there isn't good. Like, what's the mindset to be like, nah, I'm cool I, I think you grow up watching, you know, the big schools. You know, you grow up, this is what's on TV. You don't see HBCU games on television. Right. You know, on a Saturday growing up, I never saw that. But I was excited because that was my first official college oh. letter. Oh, wow, okay. Was from a HBCU. I don't mention it a lot. Wow. You know, it's so far under the radar, but yeah. that was my first letter. Yeah. No, I would have never made that decision to go there. The other thing, especially for someone like me growing up in, in California, is, is usually out west, the black people are kind of together, and it's more uh, homogeneous. Everyone okay. kind of has to be the same because we stick together. And, and everyone I've talked to that, that had a different experience at a historically black college and university said what, they, what blew their mind was they got there and they thought there was all different types of black people. Yeah. And they said, like, somewhere where I would have gone there and I wouldn't have stuck out because I would have found... You so, know, you, so you feel like, you feel like that the, the black people that were around you in San Diego, you guys were kind of the same or you weren't? Well, we had to kind of be the same. Okay. Because it was only so much of us. Okay. Right? It was kind of us against them. So we kind of had to all be the same. Right? Like, I noticed when I went to Atlanta, okay, I saw all kinds of different kinds of black people. Right. Like, like punk rock. Like, even if you're thinking about different kinds of music, where, where I grew up, I'm like, everyone listens to the same music. Yeah. And if you kind of went outside, you know, people will try to, you know, pull you back in. So I just think the diversity with, with inside of our culture, I think, yeah. is, was, was you, lost. And I think it's lost even in these big universities. Rick, Atlanta's something different, though. Yeah. Atlanta, ah, <laughs> Yo, hey, bro, why you got to turn every show into that, man? Sit every back. Every show, you. bro. When they bring it up, I got to let them know every that show, Atlanta is different. Every it's show, other. it's like, oh, bro, look at Channing. I, I it's go not, outside the box just Channing and I color, because you, I color outside the lines. No, like, and you color in the lines and you sit in your house and you play Sudoku. Me and Rick experienced life. I know I you like Sudoku. It's a me, great game. me and Rick experienced life, and we enjoyed Atlanta. You won't go to Atlanta. I don't even. You I'm know, going to Atlanta many times. You'll be at Lennox. You won't be at Phipps. Hey, Rick. <laughs> so you kind of you, you talk about the homogeneous, uh, I guess, atmosphere of being in San Diego. Like, what were you like growing up? And did you feel a need to adapt to how the people were around you, or were you honestly like that? I mean, that the homogeneous nature. I, I think it exists just in communities where you're a minority. The minority okay. has to stick together. So I think even on a football team, okay. right, or in a, at a big university, predominantly white university, it's still kind of all the, all the black people hang out together. A big part of it was I grew up and my mom worked at night and my parents separated when I was young. Okay. So I really didn't have anyone telling me what to do. And so in a positive sense, I had to figure things out for myself, but in a negative sense, I had to figure things out for myself. Right. Catch 22. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but I'm glad I I'm glad I did because I learned how to think for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think like all kids, we trying to find a place to fit. And I used to get made fun of because I was kind of nerdy. And and they would call me an Oreo cookie and say that I was black on the outside. In San Diego? And white white on the inside. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. I remember when I was in middle school. I remember I was out. <laughs> I was outside in the playground and two dudes came up to me and they just called me a punk and they just like <laughs> beat me up and like pushed me <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> 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 it's one of the greatest 
Just for no reason. Why did you run around the track? I learned. I mean, I because I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't like in my. I just was in my mind. I didn't understand why dudes. What I wasn't even doing anything would just walk up to me for no reason and just start and just start beating. And then I and then I realized, okay, I can't be a punk no more. And then I started playing playing sports. Mm-hmm. And that's when I it was my way to prove that I was black because I, I could I could run you over. I could run faster than hey, you. You had to prove your blackness through sports. Yeah. You know, you've heard so many people. I've heard kids say, "This is all I got, coach." Yeah. Right, I'm coaching kids. This is all I got. This yeah. is the only way to not be there or to actually have parents say, look, I can't afford for school. This is the only way you don't have to stay here. Do you think a lot of, of, of what we deal with is proving ourselves through sports in many different aspects? I think it is. And honestly, it's crazy because my father, was a, he played for the Dolphins and right. Buccaneer. My dad played ball. So, like, once I started playing and, like, I had success, mm-hmm. this is my way. And it's... It's so funny. And I, all four of y'all have said this. My way out. Four. One, two, three. Freddie, he no, can't count he either. Said, he said all four of y'all. Okay. Freddie Wright. My bad, Freddie. Freddie count. I'm right. Oh, my dog, Freddie. Oh, early as hell, Freddie. I'm right. Don't be slipping, man. We got him an advocate for his birthday. We're going to do that, though. <laughs> hey, no, we ain't getting one of them joints. Where the balls bounce on the outside. You know what I'm talking about? Where you get like, throw that. You talking about that? This yeah. thing? Well, it'll take Fred 14 hours to figure out what's going on. <laughs> my bad, Fred. But we heard that this is my way out. This is my way out. And why couldn't my way out be an astronaut? Why couldn't my way out be Because it wasn't things? supported. How many, it wasn't how many supported by the community. look like you, though? But when I was in school and I got an A, like, my mom would say, okay, but no one was saying, like, let's push you. When I went outside and I was the first one around the field, everybody was like, that's where they pushed me. And so I got more positive reinforcement yeah. for, for those things than I did for my intelligence. Even in that point, the HBCU stuff, mm-hmm. you're a part of it. You're about to host, you're hosting the HBCU signing show. Yep. Would you want to go and coach or mentor? It's the only way, I, it's the only place I would go and coach. The you, moment, wouldn't, you wouldn't coach at Texas. Just because of my history, I, like, I, I know that would be a lot for a university to have to, to, bring, me, to bring me in because right. if they bring me in as a head coach, I'm not going to stop smoking, and I'm not going to tell my players not to smoke. Okay. So, so they know that if they bring me in, like, I'm, I'm going to be real. But, Rick, so like, if your players, though, in a situation where if your players have to be drug tested in order to play, can you not have the conversation of, hey, guys, I'm not saying smoking is wrong, but as far as this structure is put together... That's exactly what I would say. That's right, exactly and, that, and that's okay, though. Exactly right? what that, that's what your coach is supposed to do. Exactly what I said. Didn't we have that conversation? We did. We used to, and i break it to them, the CBA, they tell you when you're getting tested. Mm-hmm. It was April 9th or April 7th. And if you ain't smart enough to stop smoking from there, you a real dumb. It was, it, was, it was 420, yeah. which is ironic. So it was always a month before, and all the dudes that smoked on the team would text each other. Hey, bro, tighten up, or just little stuff. And you would educate the young players, and I'll tell them, I don't know if Big Truck wants to hear this, but I'll tell them, Keith Trailer, Keith Trailer explained to me. He was like, bro, if you got to stop smoking now, they're going to test you in the next three months, and then you can smoke the next nine months. And so, like, as, as a non-smoker, that seems really easy to me. Like, I got an opportunity, I was on an executive board, right? And, like, when me and AB actually got into it was because I was asked on TV, if I had teammates that smoke. And I was like, I do, and I think they're great people. Mm-hmm. I said, and so because of that, I believe they should lower the limits of testing when they smoke. I was like, because these, like, they don't do anything. And I was like, and it helps a lot of people. But when you, when you look at it, I always said, when a guy fails a drug test, that's a decision-making problem, not a drug problem. Yeah. Right. If you smell a drug test, if you fell a drug test for weed, you, you, you just didn't make the decision to stop early enough because they tell us when it is. I think you put that in the hat with if you go out drink, dri- drinking and driving. That's a bad you know, you decision. Have, you have an opportunity, you know, to call a car, to get a car, get a home where somebody to drive. Right. It is a bad decision. But guys get lazy too. What happened with you, though? So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, it's just, hey, that was just, you trying to get to anyway. It's just what Chad <laughs> said. Is he, what he said was the, the, the vets, when the young guys come in, the vets let them know what the deal is, okay? So I was playing, drafted by the Saints, everybody knows. And in New Orleans, the drug test was always training camp. 
First day of training camp, you get that little, that little paper underneath your door, 6, 6.30 a.m., okay? I get traded to Miami. Nobody told me, right? Test day is in the off-season. Right. Off and so I got to the facility one day, and they said, it's that, it's that day. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So All right. I got a story I almost don't want to tell, but I got a story. But whenever do you have a story that you don't want to tell? <laughs> Were you ever surprised when you failed a drug test? It's that kind of surprise where you're not surprised that you failed, you're surprised you got caught. And that's, that's where it hit. I'm not a rule follower, I'm not. And I'm the yeah. kind of person where if someone tells me I can do something, not that it makes me want to do it, but I'm kind of like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And, and I agree that it is a decision, it is a decision-making process. And I think sometimes we're torn. Sometimes inside what we want and outside what we want are different. And I think that's when we get stuck. And I think so much of me on the outside obviously could appreciate the perks of being a professional football player. Right. But I think so much of me on the inside hated it. And what I think you I was. About it? Well, I, I hated that I couldn't be, I didn't, at least for me, I didn't feel like I could be myself. There were okay. so many expectations about how I was supposed to act. And it, took, it was my maturity that I had to realize that I have to stop caring what people think and just mm -hmm. be myself. I'm from the NO, man. And, you know, like I remember the excitement and also the criticism of when Mike Dicka drafted you. He trades away the entire draft for Rika Williams, which at the time is crazy, but people weren't also considering how great of a college football player you were. Like, I remember the, the whole dress thing. How did that come about? And, and, how, and how, when you look back at it, do you feel about that situation? <laughs> it's one of those things where my experience of it was I thought it was funny. No, I thought it was super I funny. I thought it was funny, but, but when I did it and I saw everyone else's like, reaction to it, that's what I had like, doubts about, where I had regrets. Wasn't doing it, it was, I, did, I was shocked that people would respond that way. But uh, Dan Levitard and I were close friends. Uh, we're still our close friends. And he wrote a piece about me before my rookie season, and he said, we're trying to do something to depict that you and Ditka are married. You know, because he, he spent all those picks and pretty much if it doesn't go well, it's, you know, it's going to get ugly. And so we, we went back and forth for a couple of months on different ideas. And one day they said, what about a wedding dress? And I just started laughing because I thought it was funny. And then I was like, sure. And then when we got to the shoot, you know, I had to put the dress on. And I, that's what I started to think. Like, it's a damn did, dress. Did you think about it when you put the titties in? <laughs> I didn't have to put titties in. <laughs> Rick, I saw the picture, Rick. There was no titties in. That's why you I, had titties. Hey, Rick, I was hey, doing, that boy had pecs. I was doing push-ups. You have never lifted before, <laughs> uh -huh. so you don't know what pecs look like. Hold you on. don't have no muscles. I've seen the picture. It was it was some stuff underneath that. It was no See, titties but, but in. That, that was you. Though, I'm, I'm, just that, I'm just that guy that's in it for the experience. So what was the experience like? It was interesting. It was interesting. Did you learn anything from it? Um, I did. I, I think I had an appreciation for what it feels like to be discriminated against for your sexual preference. Okay. You know, oh, just, wow. just that idea of putting yourself in other people's shoes and how, even though I, I would, you know, I'm a football player, most masculine football player, that because I put on a dress for two hours, it, all of this talk starts. And just how that, like, just do you how think, that feels. Do you think people questioned your sexual preference because of that? Well, I, I think they were, they were questioning my sexual preference before that, okay. but I just think that just gave them, you know, it just... Added to the questions. And, and, and Rick, you, I, we hung out. You, 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 you like women. Because <laughs> 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 Rick done messed me up before. They was, I was sitting there, we sitting there at Prime 112, and they walking in looking at Ricky, and I'm like, damn, you was my girl. Why you worried about, Rick ain't worried about he you. He's a superstar. Yeah, he's a superstar. He's a superstar. But, but from, from that whole situation, Rick, from that whole thing with the dress and all that stuff, did you move forward, like, to a point where you have to see that I'm bigger than... Because my, my understanding, like, to even talking to you, knowing you 15 years ago, that I don't think you knew what the fame was of Ricky Williams. I don't think you knew Heisman Ricky Williams. I don't think you knew, like, even when you got back to the team in 05, after the suspension, and you came, like, I was starstruck by you. 
bro, when you're walking through the locker room, like, I would even come in the shower, and I would get closer to you in the shower just because I'm showering <laughs> with Ricky Williams. I wasn't trying to look First at First off, time though, you took a shower? Because yeah, yeah, we yeah. all know you don't really bathe like that. It was once a week. Bro, Look why are you so room. nasty? Because I'm a nasty motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a life quote. When did it click to you that I'm not the normal guy walking down the street? I'm not the guy serving a barista it at still, Starbucks? It still hasn't clicked. It still hasn't clicked. It still think, hasn't clicked. It, it wasn't, I just didn't ever really bought into it so much. You know, because for but, me it was weird. for me it was, click, though, but for me it was a, a real talk. It was really about the game. Do you like, love you love football? The game, I love it. I love it. I like like as I'm sitting here, I'm starstruck because I've seen everyone here play, and you know, <laughs> oh, both of y'all like that, bro. I hate both no, of y'all. But, but there, there's something about like like size and speed, right? And like graceful, and if someone gets the ball, and like you really know they can go anytime right. they touch it, like. That's what I love watching, right, right, right. watching the Jags. So let me ask you this. Uh, you get suspended after 05, right? Yeah. 06, you went to Toronto. Yeah. What was that experience like playing in Canada? Yeah. To go from a big university like Texas, NFL t- number number five overall, right? Yeah. yeah. The world was given to you. Yeah. Well, you earned it. Yeah. You earned it. I don't want to. Uh, I earned nah, it, but it was still it. given. You, you still, it's it. both. We got to do both. What was it like playing in Canada? I loved it. I loved it. You know, because it, it reminded me of college. Not not the big football part of it, but in Canada, you can only have a certain number of Americans on the team. And so all the Americans, we all hung out together. And it was just back to the basics of football. It wasn't the hype. It was just football. So throughout that time, were you still in the NFL, like, uh, program or anything? So- I was in the NFL drug program, but they weren't. I've, I found out after the first two months, they weren't sending anybody up to test me. And so it was like a kind of I was waiting to see, and then when I saw they weren't, then I just dudes on the team, you know, go over to somebody's house playing Madden all night and go over there smoke and chop it up. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. Like, there's other ways for, to bring to, for for fellowship, but I found there's yeah. nothing like guys getting together, passing something around, and, and really getting to know each other. And so, like, we we've moved to a different time in not only sports but in society, right? To where mental health awareness is huge everywhere, but more so in the black community than ever. It was kind of something that was taboo for us. Um, and so in sports, you know, whether it's, whether it's Kevin Love or all these different athletes speaking out, we tend to run to back up our brethren in these situations. And I remember being younger, watching you do interviews in a helmet after practice and, and honestly being like, I don't understand it. You know, like, like, why is he doing it? Whereas today, if you did that same interview the exact same way, the world, Twitter, Instagram, media will be running to your aid to say, there is something he's dealing with, we need to help him. But you were actually kind of villainized for this. How did that affect you in the way you felt about yourself and also in the way you felt about people around you supporting you? Back to what I, what I said earlier about even then, I, when I looked about, about around the world and at the media and people that I was dealing with, I didn't think there was anything wrong with me. I thought there was something wrong with them. Uh, okay. And so, and so I, I don't think, I mean, maybe some people would obviously would say he needs help, but I think hopefully, I think nowadays people would have said, yeah, we need to look at the way the media treats athletes. Is that athletes are human beings? Because I think things have changed. And I think one of the major things that have changed is we see athletes more as human beings who have a voice. You know, not just chess pieces or characters on a video game. Because that was the whole point of wearing a helmet. Is I, I'm a sensitive person, so was, it, was, is, was it strategic though, Rick? No. Well, it's, it it started off as a as a you, and then it turned into something that was more strategic. I was trying to express something that when I spoke with my mouth, no one listened, and so I had to take you know, had to take action. Because for me, I, I, sitting there and and knowing who I am and listening to the media ask me questions and feel like. They don't care who I am. They're, they're trying to make me be something else and then ask me questions where I have to answer a certain way. But when I answer the way I feel, they say I'm avoiding the question or I'm doing this. And for me, I was like, what makes you guys set the rules? Right. And I said, like, if you're coming to me to ask me questions, then I, I'm the one who sets the rules. Mm-hmm. And so it was just like claiming my own agency in that, in that whole situation. And, but through that time, Rick, do you think the NFL did enough? Through hell that- no. Just hell no. Like, 
you're watching one of your top running backs. Like, we saw what happened. The Saints traded away a tire draft to get you. Like, you were a dog, bro, Heisman Trophy winner. And you come in the league, and now one of their stars is wearing his damn helmet during interviews. Yeah. Nobody reached out to you. Nobody said anything to you. Nobody sent you a number to talk to. NFL did, did, did not look at that as a problem. Maybe you're not hearing me, okay? What I'm saying is the problem wasn't with me. The problem was with the NFL from mm. my perspective. Wow. From my perspective, right? Is I'm a kind of person where I just figure, like, my main, number one demand in life is that you have to treat me like a dignified human being. And if I don't feel like that, then I'm going to act a certain way, regardless of who you are and regardless of how much money you're paying me. That's just me. Yeah. And... and and, and, and that makes me, and that, if that makes me crazy, then I'm 100% crazy. Lessons. What does crazy mean not, to you? Not so much crazy, rebellious. Re- because there's a set of rules that, you know, we all the have rules to abide by. But the rules were not made for us. Players or us, black people. The rules in this country were not made for us. A matter of fact, a lot of the rules were made for anti-us. And then, and I, but I think the only way that changes and the rules come to some kind of, like, middle ground is if we rebel against the bullshit rules. And I feel like everything I rebelled against was bullshit. I don't feel like I rebelled against anything that, that made sense. That to made you. sense to me. Your rebellion of what you did, how you were, social anxiety, which I saw. Me, you, and Ronnie yeah. Brown were, were sitting in Prime One Twelve one night, and it was me, Rick, and Ronnie. It was three of us at a table, and it was Friday night, and everybody was around. And me, Rick, and Ronnie were sitting, and we're telling football stories, we're having a good time. And then, I'll be honest, some girls walked up that I knew, <laughs> and I said, sit down. So we pulled, the, we pulled that little, that, you know what I'm saying, that little, that little square table that turned into a circle. So we pulled it up, and we were there for an hour with Rick, and we're talking, we're having a good time. And then we pulled a table up, and then three more people sit down. And I saw Rick kind of go into a, more of a shell. And then some more people come up, and we push two tables together, and I see Rick even shrink more and that social anxiety. I was one of those guys that thought like that, you know, mental health thing. Like it was one of the times that I knew like- It was I a real watched, thing. I watched yeah. your social anxiety in person. I watched it in real life. Is that still there for you? Like, is that still there where, if, you know, it's, it, it's just us now, but if, 10, 12, 15 people start sitting out. Is that still there? So it's funny. I, I, I do a, a little thing on, on Dan Levitard's podcast. And last week we sat down and I sat in my, in my own house, my own house. I sat down and there was a new person on the, on the screen. And I, and I noticed when I sat down that I got kind of like moody. And Dan was like, oh, here we go. We got, Mo- we got Ricky, Ricky Williams moody today. And he said, who is it? Is it this person? I said, no, it's the girl. And they were like, what do you mean? And so I like, I said, hey, I, went, I talked to her, and I said, what's your name? And she told me her name. I said, what's your, like, what's your story? Mm. And I said, give me your 30-second version of your story. So she gave me her 30-second version of the story, and then I was good. So I'm just the kind of person where if I'm going to fuck with somebody, I want to fuck with you on a deep level. And I get like that to see, like, can we, can we go there? And that's just me. And I think probably too much. I leaned on that too much, and so it, it caused anxiety. But now I don't get anxious, but I'm like... Okay, this like where this party is going is not that interesting to me. Right, you gotta you gotta be able to observe the bullshit. Yeah. So I can I can tuck myself in too, you know I have a bit of you know, a little bit of social anxiety. I might have a drink or two and kind of loosen up a little bit, but mo- majority of the time I'm, I'm it's it's thirty percent social anxiety and seventy percent let me check out the bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know I'm not just gonna open up to everybody that's, that that's, that's brand that's new to the to the section or that just come coming to the table. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, I, I listen, you know, more than I talk, even on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to deem me as Freddie's the OG, da, 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 you know, all that crazy. No, let me listen and hear everybody out first. Because mm-hmm. the loudest person is probably the stupidest in the room. Huh? And that ain't me. <laughs> 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 Not you, bro. No, you know what I'm saying? Why you looked at him, though? Not you. You looked straight at him. Yeah, and man. then he hit you with two hands, too. The loudest person no, with, the, with, the old, with the old the, curl fingers. You know, I'm like, <laughs> give, us, give, it, give it to me, baby. Yeah, no, yeah, not, yeah. not you. I'm not taking a jab. No, no, it's okay, no, no, no. But I'm just, you can take general, a jab. No, I'm generalizing. He jabs constantly. But that, that's me. You know, uh, that's, that's always been me. Yeah. So and I can kind of, you know, I, I feel you on that. I'm to the place now where I still, like, 
come more inside, I'm not as like anxious and nervous about it because I know this is just me. But a lot of people, they expect a football player to be a certain way. And so when they see that, it's almost an overreaction to it. Where people that know me, they know, oh, that's just Rick. To that point of like what you were going through. So you're the best running back in the league. I really don't think about that. Like for me, I was so focused on like what I had to do. Like I was that nerd that's watching film, right? We put the zone play and I'm watching all the cutups, all the cutups, all the cutups. So I, I was so focused on, on what I did that I, I wasn't really. Rick, do you think, do you think because of some of the outside perception of you, people missed out on how important football really was to you? Because I'm gonna say even from the outside for me, like to hear you say that right there is almost a revelation for me. Do you think the well, other ask someone who saw me practice on a on a daily basis? Right, we didn't know. You see what I'm saying? RC. All we got was RC. media, you know? Yeah. RC. If he breaks a run at the 20, he's gonna run 80 yards to the end zone. I love that. I thought he was crazy. I love that. I thought he was nuts. I saw him one time when he first came back, 05, and he hit a hole, and that was God rest his soul. I don't even want to cry, Junior Seau. Junior was on the team. You know what you know the story I'm about to take. Junior didn't practice hard because it was Junior Seau. Mm -hmm. And Junior ran up in his gap. And I wasn't starting at the time because it was Zach Thomas, Junior Seau. There's no way my sorry ass is going to start. <laughs> right. And I see Junior run up in the B gap. And I see Junior eject out the B gap. And I see Rick just <laughs> keep running down the sideline. And Junior got up. Junior Seau took his helmet off and threw it and said, y'all motherfuckers don't know how to practice. And Junior quit practicing. Was it because Ricky because ran? Ricky ran his ass flat clean over. Because when the OGs is playing, like, you ain't trying you to got, run you me over. You gotta respect. I'm not trying to knock you out. Right. But Ricky practiced like he was a rookie. Right. Even when he came back. This is, after, this is after Ricky was a pro hey, bowler. Hey, Rick practiced like an undrafted free Bro, agent. When Rick came back in 05, yeah. and this was my rookie year, so I'm playing like hell, and he stung my damn shoulder a couple of times. You gave me some stingers, and I'm going to need some money <laughs> because I don't know my shoulder, my right shoulder's right. But Ricky practiced in 05 after going to Pro Bowls and being the, the top pick in the New Orleans stuff like he was an undrafted free agent every practice and took right. it to the house. And it blew my mind because I was starstruck. Right. When Ricky Rick, Williams. When Rick walked in the locker room, I wasn't starstruck by too many people. Lawrence Taylor... Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, and Ricky Williams were the four people that ever starstruck me in my entire how does that, life. How does that feel, though, when somebody you play with puts you in a conversation with not only three of the greatest athletes of all time, people who people feel like are the greatest to ever do what they did as a job? Well, I think, to me, what, what it is that he saw me work. Okay. And that's different than, than just what you see somebody, what they do on Sundays. Right. To me, so much of what I did was just the work. I, and even in the weight room, like mm -hmm. when I showed up to work, like train, like every day in off season, if I could walk back to the to the locker room, I did. <laughs> right. Used to grind. I, I didn't hit it hard enough. Yeah. What people fail to realize is that the NFL has been around for more than over 100 years. Right. Throughout that time, it's been thousands of running backs. Mm -hmm. There's this exclusive club that, uh, you know, once you attain that level you know, pretty much you're, you're, you're elite of the elite. Mm -hmm. And Ricky's attained that level. It's the 10,000-yard rushing club. Right. You know, you're 31 on that list. Yeah. How does that feel? You know, it... it was be, it was it, it a goal? It, it was because of the way my career went. I felt like with all the ups and downs and the suspensions that if I could walk away with, with 10,000 rushing yards that I felt like I can say I, I did my thing in the, in the, the best, NFL. 31 of the best running backs to ever... In the, no, where, the in the well, history of the game. And you know this, the, the key is longevity, especially at right. the running back position. Can you can you be productive over the long over the long term? Because otherwise, you know, you're not getting the ten thousand yards. You got you got Fred or Fred got you? Fred got me, like Fred got me. He got me. For real. Real deal. Freddie. Real Listen, deal. You got we, you got Rick? We both had our, our own different adversities. Mine was due to injuries, mm -hmm. for the most part. Yep. That slowed me down. And people use that against you yeah, when you talk same. about the Hall of Fame e conversation. Right now. Yeah. Uh, but from a talent standpoint, you know, and, and pound for pound, now I've always been a fan of Ricky. I remember when New Orleans came to Jacksonville to practice. To practice, yeah. You know, it was early yeah. on, uh, I think it was maybe your first or second year. It was my first and second right. year. Right, you yeah. know, and uh, knowing who he was, I was a fan of him in college. 
I went over, you know, we found each other, had a conversation. Right, that's awesome. And I've been a fan ever since. But, uh, you know, I, I could say, you know, he was always one of my favorite backs to watch. 100%. You know, throughout our era. In terms of, I got Ricky or he got me. You know, if it's I believe us. that. Yeah, I believe that's that us. if we, you know, under certain circumstances, it could have gone either way. Yep. You know, he's a bad mother. Hell yeah. Rick, what was it like when the Wildcat jumped off? It was great because you know how it is in, in your, your room, right? In your, in your position room. Think about the Wildcats, we have four of us. We okay. had four running backs on the field at the same time. And, and it became a, a pretty, like probably 20% of our offense that right. year. And so it was great that the whole room was getting to contribute. And being able to spend time with, uh, with Ronnie like that was, was great too. And, and beating up on the Patriots. Do you ever watch football right now and see the Lamar Jacksons, the Kyler Murrays, the, the, the Cam Newtons, these different quarterbacks who have zone read in their game, who do all the RPOs, and ever think back to yourself like, man, like this is part of what we did. We, it. Start- we did it. We yeah. definitely started it. Because I think it was one of those things where NFL coaches would say, that's what they do in college. That's not going to work here. But we had, we had so much success. We had so much success doing it that it stuck. I mean, we even had Ronnie like just doing his own read where he either was giving it to me or he was taking off. And we were crushing people did, with did that. Did y'all think that was going to work? Because we didn't. Hell nah. Oh, okay. Hell nah. <laughs> but, 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 but we were, I think we were 0-2. And yeah. we're going up to New England. And we were like, let's try. Let's, let's give it a, let's let's give let's it a go try. Out yeah, there. Let's see. Because we, we bashed y'all's head in at practice in that Wildcat. We tore y'all's ass up. So when y'all got into it, we were like, "Cause you guys saw it every day. We we ran that. We ran the Wildcat every single day and, and walked through every yeah. day." What was the funnest time in your football career? I'm talking about high school to college to any time. What was like the time that you enjoyed football the most? Like college, really? Texas. College. So not high school, pros, college. College. What was it about college that? I just love my teammates. It just was like a, it was like a family. So with college being your best experience. What do you think can be instilled at the lower levels, the high school levels, to help people like us reach their ultimate potential and be successful? That I think that when we talk about our ultimate potential, it has to go beyond just what we do on the football field. Okay. Because to me, what, we did, what I did on the football field just trained me to get the most out of all my other potentials. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, you know, when I was a kid, they would always say, what's your backup plan? But for me, even if you play a long time, you still got half your life. It's not a backup plan, mm-hmm. you know? So I think just getting people to think about, even if you are making it to the league, how can you use that as a platform? Like, what are your, what are your larger goals? Like, you think, you talked about being from San Diego and the way you had to, not necessarily conform, but the way that you guys banded together as, as minorities, right, and as African-Americans. What would be your message to those kids, or what would you like those kids to be able to to have to hang on to that when they're sitting around like us at this age, they feel like they've been supported through life and they feel like they've accomplished the things that they want to accomplish. So I think support is from my experiences and my experiences tell me that I, that I didn't receive a proper education. Really? Yes. Mm. Wow. And so high school, college, any of it. Okay. The best education I got was in Sunday school. Okay. Because what I learned there prepared me to handle all the other BS. Mm-hmm. And so I think of a program where kids, middle school, maybe high school, kind of like, like Jewish people, they have a program where they, they take them back to Israel and, and they get to visit and have like a cultural program and understand their roots. Right. And I feel like if, if someone would have taken me to Africa mm-hmm. and like showed me my roots and I would have saw like a, like a shaman and a witch doctor and, and seen them cooking all the herbs, right, then I, I wouldn't have felt so alienated when those things felt like they were part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been uprooted. Mm-hmm. And I think we just don't really know our roots. And so I think some kind of cultural program to let us know that we are kings. And is yeah. that is that getting back, like you said earlier, that you want to coach at an HBCU? Yeah. And I'm, I'm wrapping it around with that's it. Real. That's what you want to see. I look at people, and especially these past couple of years, they talk about white privilege. I call it white ignorance because a lot of people, not all of them, but a lot of them, they don't do well in adversity. And I think our strength is that when shit hits the fan, like, like we show up, right? Right, and, and that's, that's what you need in life. The world has taught all four of us to show up physically. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm, Super Bowl, yeah. Hall of Fame. Ooh. You fucked up the Hall of Fame, yeah. I ain't gonna lie. And then <laughs> I did okay. 
But like it showed us that we showed up physically when the lights were on. Mm. How do you, how do you teach kids to show up when it's not athletic? How do you teach so kids to show you, up when you it's play, not about You played for African American head coach. I think the the thing that was best about playing for Mike T is being able to walk into an office and be honest. Yeah. Be honest about what I feel. Be honest about what I saw. Be honest about what I what I felt was the solution. Yeah. And have somebody look at me and be able to understand the perspective in which that came from. We all know as men, there's not going to be 100% of the things that either of you tell me that I agree with. But if I could say, Channing, like, I don't really, I don't agree with you, but I understand it. And that was what always Mike T could tell me. Because he always had the last decision, right? Yeah. But I always walked out of the office feeling like he heard me. Yeah. Which was the most important for me because I understood the structure of football. You know, and I think when Channing asks you about being an HBCU coach, and we talked about that earlier, I think that's the thing kids could get most from you is understanding perspective, especially with your experiences. And so do you feel like those experiences qualify you to be able to do the job of a Dion or a Hugh Jackson or Eddie George? I think, I think 100%. I mean, I feel like, I, like all of my experience have prepared me for that kind of situation. Because my, my vision for what these young men can be is not the one that these other coaches have for them. It's right. not even close. But, but they see this laid back, nonchalant, you know, very soft spoken guy. Do you think, you know, those, those powers that be would ever take you serious and bring you in as a hire? I, I don't think they would. This is something I've been thinking about like a lot. When, when we were brought over as slaves, okay, one of the main, main problems, and if you think about this, the main problems that they had to solve Okay, is how does they how do they break our will? How do they break our natural aggressive urges? How how do they do that? So if you think of all of the manpower, all of the manpower that because that's how they got that's how they're going to get their money, Mm -hmm. right? If they get that free labor, so it was that that manpower of how to make us submissive. And part of it was I think when we started playing sports is they could channel it into entertainment, right? No, and so I think it's just natural for it to produce anxiety when there's one of us that they know they can't control. I've learned a ton today. I think more than I actually expected to learn, man. So I just want to say thank you. No, nah, this was uh, great. I got like, feel like I got a lot off my chest. Good. <laughs> I tell you, ain't nobody, <laughs> ain't nobody hiring you with that thick ass mustache. <laughs> hey, bro, that mustache double twice over. How the hell he chew? Hey, you got him. <laughs> hey, but, but I appreciate you, yes, dog, man. Of course, thank you man, so much, man. For yes, sure. Respect Honor, always, man. bro. Yeah. Yes, sir. Highs, man. Yes. Highs, man. Yes.